Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Our Thought Bubble, brought to you by Finneran's Wake, a channel to which I urge you to subscribe. Join us here. We're a growing audience, and a, a very lively time will be had uh, by all involved. So I'm joined, as always, with my father, Dad. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Dan. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about some of these topics. They're uh, very interesting and you know, uh, this this next election cycle is going to be pretty awesome. I think it's going to be wild. And we've had a brief hiatus. You and I haven't spoken about matters political for a little while. So it, it should be really exciting to delve into some of these topics uh, with which we're all uh, confronted. So I think the biggest issue this week, the biggest piece of news uh, to come out in the past seven days is Nikki Haley's announcement that she will be running for president in 2024. So a little background on this political figure. She was in the South Carolina state legislature for a while before becoming governor of that state. Now, she's most synonymous with the uh, event at the um, Ebenezer Baptist Church when Dylan Roof uh, entered that house of worship and murdered, uh, what was it, a dozen or so individuals. Um, so she presided over the state at that time in her gubernatorial role. She then proceeded on to serve uh, under the Trump administration as the ambassador to the United Nations, to the UN. It's a, it's a role in which she served first. There were two subsequent uh, appointees to that position as well. But I think she served in that role most memorably. Uh, just within the past few days, she put out a video, a brief video, maybe three minutes in duration, uh, announcing formally her intention to run for uh, the Republican nomination for president in 2024. Uh, and just a day or so after that, after the announcement uh, on the video, she held a more formal rally, uh, about 20 five to 30 minutes in length, her speech was, uh, during which she sort of laid out her intention to run, her program, her policy, and uh, basically her first pitch, why we should vote for her. Uh, so as an independence, maybe slightly right-leaning voter, tell me, Dad, why would someone like you vote for her? Well, uh, she was hitting some of the topics which I'm interested in. Um, I think one of the things that she said with with her announcement was that she's going to um, sort of do away or be less woke. Um, you know, and I think some some of that or or that particular topic really really resonates with a lot of Americans. You know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I've got a lot of friends who are. Uh, Democrats and 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 we were talking, and some of the discussion was, "Hey, I'm a Democrat, but you know, I'm not all for transitioning children. I'm more of a you know kind of a moderate, nineteen you know early nineteen eighties um, Clinton Democrat. Um, I don't really believe in a lot of these things that are happening in schools." And you know, philosophically, I was thinking after having these discussions because. You know, there's right and there's center of, of both parties, uh, left, right, and center of both parties. And I was thinking after I had this conversation with with a, a few friends, are 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 Democrats complicit in this woke culture 
even though they don't necessarily agree with it? Can they can they hold their nose and 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 vote Republican in order to sort of vote against this woke culture? And and I don't think that they can. I think people have been voting a certain way for their lifetime, and I don't think that their disdain for this for some of the elements. I'll say some of the elements of this woke culture will drive them enough to vote in another way. Uh, I have to ask some of my Republican friends, hey, is your life that that much more terrible under Joe Biden? And, and some people will say, yes, just look at my 401k. Yes, just look at you know my stocks. Look at my savings. Look at how the woke culture has, has sort of crept in. And, you know, everything is, 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 is really becoming a shouting match. But I think that the Democrats, maybe if they can sort of hold their nose and, and, and deal with four years of change, um, maybe they won't be so complicit in, in a lot of this, um, a, a lot of this radicalism that's going on in this country. So I think she really resonated by saying that uh, to to me. That that's basically what I took. I thought she was very articulate in this in in her presentation. I've seen her interviewed uh, by uh, a couple of of the outlets, and sh and she seems to be able to hold her own. She doesn't seem to be as polished as some uh, candidates. Uh, I'll say like DeSantis, for instance, uh, and maybe and, and maybe Trump. Um, but I think the Americans, if, if, if I'm reading, if I'm reading the Joe Biden vibe, I think they're looking for someone that they can relate to. Like there's, there's grandpa Joe or there's uncle Joe and I can relate to him. That's the only way that I can explain the phenomenon that's going on now with the democratic party. Yeah. So you attribute it to the, to the relatability of uncle Joe. I will uh, urge you to, to heed, uh, the use of that of that <laughs> uh, uh, of that word, Uncle Joe. Of course, that was that was used uh, in reference to Joseph Stalin uh, back during the the uh, height of the of his reign in the Soviet Union. So maybe Grandpa Joe is more appropriate, especially as he celebrated his 80th birthday just a few uh, months ago. And of course, that's something about which Haley was talking: the the age of some of our current political leaders. Uh, so you you make a good point. I mean, you've, you've been talking, obviously, to your Republican and to your Democrat friends. Um, you, and they, you can still see me, Dad? Yes. Okay, sorry, you just hitched a little bit. Um, and it seems to be a, a consensus opinion that some change is wanted, right? They're, they're ready and, and willing and eager to move on to, to something else. Uh, the question is: Is Haley that is is that is she the person to whom they'll now go? Uh, I'm not so sure. I mean, you you mentioned that she's more polished, and I grant you that she is. But the standard for polished and for refinement is has is quite low at this point, right? We have Joe Biden, who is utterly incapable of reading off of a teleprompter. Uh, we have President or ex President Trump, who is equally uh, inept at at. <laughs> at speaking uh, and keeping to a script, although he does so slightly, slightly more um, um, eloquently than than his successor. The question is, 
what does Haley bring to the table that that Trump doesn't, at least from a policy perspective? Does she bring anything new? Is there anything different in her approach to foreign policy? Is there anything different in her approach to domestic policy? Like, what are your feelings about that? Is she that drastic a change from Trump, or is she just sort of a reflection of everything that that he stood for? Well, I haven't had a chance to go to her website to see what it is that she is all about. Um, so I don't know what her policies per se are. She hasn't really laid out framework, and, and this is all pretty, I mean, for me, Trump got in very, very early. She's in pretty early as well. Uh, I would imagine within the next three to six months, you're going to see others start to 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 come on. And I, I'm really going to be interested to see what Joe Biden does. Um, but she didn't really give any clear-cut plans. So I'm not sure if it's the same as Trump, if it's Trump light, uh, or if it's something radically different. So, you know, I'm not privy to those plans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in her formal announcement at the rally, uh, uh, declaring her intention to run, she did lay out some agenda items in broad strokes, which is typical of a very early announcement such as hers. Uh, she talked a little bit about education, right? And this was toward the, the latter half of the speech. She uh, commented on the fact that she wants more choice and less wokeness in the classroom and in the schools. Uh, she spoke about immigration, desiring uh, E-Verify, which I think is a, a program or a protocol that she adopted in, uh, and instituted in South Carolina. She, I don't know if she made any mention of the wall, but of course that would be something for which many on the more Trumpy side of the base are, are still clamoring. Uh, she she did mention foreign policy. She talked briefly about uh, the threat of China, or wanting to reduce it to uh, the ash heap of history, and and also a little bit about Russia as well. Um, and its and its bellicosity and its and its um, movement into the Ukraine. Um, but I think the the issue on which she focused at some length and to some good effect was age, the age of our current class of politicians, right? It's no secret that President Trump is an elderly man, although he has this youthful exuberance about him. He's in his mid-70s, approaching his 80s. Joe Biden is currently in his 80s. We just had the announcement by uh, the staff, at least of Dianne Feinstein of California, the senator there, that she will be retiring. She's closer to 90, I believe. Uh, and seems to have been unaware of the fact that she was indeed intending to retire <laughs> at the end of her of her term, her current term. We look at the recent, um, I guess you could say, replacement of Nancy Pelosi by by McCarthy, right? And another very elderly woman, McConnell, another very elderly gentleman, and of course the Supreme Court, uh, who is increasingly youthful by replacements, both. Um, um, made by uh, Presidents Trump and now Biden. Uh, but Haley was was getting to a, a more significant point, and that's it's one about which we talk often, both on this show and off, is that it's the aging um, political, political class by which we've been led. Um, 
you think of the last few presidents accepting President Obama, we've they've were probably all born within a few years of of one another, from Trump to Biden to Bush to Clinton. You know, I think Jimmy Carter is closer in age to to uh, to Biden at this point in time. Uh, so Haley was was right to point that out, and she mentioned the fact, and it's a it's a line that everyone is sort of remembering, is that she talks about um, it's not that America is is um, is past its prime. It's that our political class, these these leaders, are past their prime. So a few words, uh, a few thoughts from you on that idea of this aged, elderly, um, senescent political class that that needs to be replaced or needs to shuffle off the scene. Well, I couldn't. I could not agree with her more about age limitations. I know. We're gonna. We'll, we'll probably reference a couple of conversations we had when I was down in Florida when we were having our first uh, kickoff of patio politics. I know. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about Fetterman a little bit later on. But um, back in whenever that was, October uh, or early November, um, you know, I was I was a strong proponent of age restrictions to the point where I think half half heartedly you accused me of ageism. But again, it's, um, you know, it's the same, you know, it's an elderly population. Um, there, uh, again, what I had said back then was I'm, I'm not the same person that I was when I was in my 30s, not the same as I was when I was in my 40s. Uh, so I can't imagine how I'm going to be, and I'm, I'm pretty vibrant now in my 60s, but I can't imagine how I'm going to be in my 80s. And I can tell you, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I will, and I said this back in October, I will not vote Republican or Democrat for someone who who is in their 80s. Um, it's just, I, I'm just not going to do it. So I couldn't agree with her more. I know uh, opponents of of uh, of hers could, could say, oh, that's ageism. Um, but I disagree. Uh, and I think, I think people in your age, in your age group, definitely must be frustrated at this point because you're you're seeing the same old tired people being brought out and 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 you know and walked around like Biden spent I think it was 38 40 years or more in the Senate I mean it's just an incredible it's more than you're you're probably going to work in your lifetime before you you retire I mean most people work 25 or 30 years and then they retire to be in the Senate for 38 years, um, you know, it's 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 just an incredible, incredibly long. Same with Nancy Pelosi. I mean, and then Feinstein from from California. Like, who is voting for and who? And she'd probably win if she if she ran again. I, I just don't get it. I don't I don't understand why people. You know, again, I don't know if they're robotically po pulling a D or an R, but I just don't get it. There there's not a whole lot of thought that's going into you know, into this, into this voting process. So I would be all for age restrictions. Yeah, I also think it's a great disservice that these politicians do to their constituents. Uh, Feinstein, for instance, she basically deprives the the citizens of California of a of a fully functional, um, competent continent uh, legislature. Right? Uh, she was elected 
at least with the knowledge that she was a, a quite elderly woman and her family knew this, her staff members knew this, people with whom she's been associated for many, many years, many decades. And, and still she was, uh, she was put forth to the public for, for re-election. And now what do you have? You have a woman obviously incapable of discharging her duties. Now, the same could be said on about political leaders on the right. I'm not ex um, exclusively calling uh, Democrats out on this on this point. Um, and and maybe that's a perfect segue to to get into John Fetterman, of whom you made uh, just brief mention. Uh, you're you are really doing the citizens, the the constituents, the voters of California, of Pennsylvania, a great disservice by putting forth a candidate who is known to have some deficiencies, uh, cognitive deficiencies, and perhaps health deficiencies as well, and still pushing him forward as as the standard bearer and as as the man who will represent you in in Washington. Um, so. Just to recap, moving from Nikki Haley and her announcement uh, to run for president 2024 to, to Senator uh, Fetterman, uh, a few weeks ago, I believe, uh, on account of his dizziness, lightheadedness, he was admitted to uh, the hospital. I think this was just after Joe Biden's State of the Union address and the Democrats were having a, a little bit of a party um, jamboree or at least a, a get together of some sort. Uh, so he went to the hospital for that reason and then was released, so far as I can tell. Uh, the reports on this have been a little bit um, cloudy. And he since checked back into the hospital at Walter Reed Hospital under the care of the, or under the advice of the congressional uh, physician uh, for clinical depression uh, for which he's now being treated, uh, which is not uncommon after having suffered a stroke along with the debilitating uh, auditory issues from which he's been suffering. Um, psychological and emotional problems can arise as well. And just to revisit his trajectory to the to the to the um, to the capital, uh, he was he was well, I should say he suffered a stroke in the springtime of 2022, just prior to the Democrat primary election in Pennsylvania, which he won. He defeated a I think it was Connor Lamb, who was, uh, I think, previously a congressman um, in the House of Representatives. Uh, youthful gentleman, uh, you know, not radical by any by any measure, so far as I could tell. Uh, a perfectly fit candidate for Pennsylvania, uh, but Fetterman was the choice. And now Pennsylvanians, at least in the Democrat Party, for that primary, voted for him with the knowledge that he did indeed just suffer a stroke. So. The severity of the stroke was unknown at that time, but there was knowledge, perfect knowledge, that he had under he had suffered uh, an adverse health event, let's say, if you could frame it in its most um, benign terms. Well, as it turns out, the health event was quite serious and something for which he needed extensive treatment, which he didn't receive because he continued to to sort of campaign in a milder fashion. Right, he never debated Mehmet Oz, the Republican opponent, until much later in the in the election cycle, much later in the campaign season, and he won that election by quite a large margin. Uh, so now we're just about a month into this um, congressional session, and he's already been hospitalized twice. Uh, I think he's only in his fifties, so he doesn't fall into the octogenarian 
category of which we've been uh, on which we've been hammering. Um, but again, it gets to the point of someone who was clearly cognitively compromised and was pushed forward into a position for which he more than likely wasn't suited. So what are your thoughts on the Fetterman situation? Well, again, um, you know, my my heart goes out to his him and his family and 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 other Americans and people across the world who are going through a similar similar situation. When we when we first discussed this back in October, we talked about the f the family taking some accountability for for this for pushing him forward. You're, you're in the medical profession and you have a better understanding of the stroke and the effects that it has on the brain than I do. And, 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 and you were saying, you know, six to eight months of, of treatment is crucial for the recovery from a stroke. Now, if you throw somebody yeah, onto... It's, I not mean, it's not just the six to eight months, it's the initial six to eight months immediately uh, succeeding the the event itself. So in that window of time, that's when the most progress will be made, if any progress is to be made. And by all evidence, he uh, unwisely forewent that duration when he should have been resting, he should have been rehabilitating, he wasn't. Uh, he pushed on, carried on, and um, for, for at what cost, I guess, is the question, but, but go on. Yeah, so, so, you know, my opinion was, Back back in October, he should have gotten the treatment, and and I didn't think it was fair that his family, I guess his wife's name is Giselle, I don't want to call her out, but but they make a decision to push this person forward, but at at one at what cost for for the health, and and if you go back and and review that that video, or if our listeners go back, or viewers go back and and take a look, you know we we kind of hit the nail right on the head with this. And and I don't want to, you know, I'm not wishing Fetterman any ill will, um, and 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 quite frankly, it wasn't until I think the debate with with Mem and Oz that people realized that how bad off this guy was. And at that point, because Pennsylvania has such early voting, I think I think a lot of a lot of the probably 25 percent of the vote was already cast. So people who may have been you know stunned by what they saw. May have already may have already voted. Now, I, I'm I'm taking this same thing that that Fetterman is going through, and I'm looking at at Joe Biden, and I hate to say this, but here's a man in cognitive decline. At at some point, and I and I and I hope that a family and 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 my family has done this with me. Hey, hey, Rich, maybe you shouldn't be going to work. Maybe you should take a couple of weeks off after this surgery. Maybe you should take a month. And and recover, um, and 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 that's happened to me, where I've had to put my career on hold a couple of times for for various surgeries. So, I wasn't in, and I wasn't involved in a grueling. Well, for Fetterman, I don't think, and for Biden, actually, I don't think it was a a very grueling um, road to you know to becoming a senator or becoming a president. They basically were resting in place and kind of coming out uh, towards the end, but. But to put your family, and again, getting back to the president, to put your family through this, I mean, the guy is 80 years old. If, if you're not noticing any differences in his behavior for one of the most stressful jobs in the world, um, 
then, you know, if the public can see it and you as a family member can't see it, I'm not going to say, you know, I will say maybe, maybe you should, you know, take stock on the family and take stock on the individual. It's a person after all, it's a family member, it's your husband, uh, you know, could be a wife in, in the case of Feinstein. Uh, it could be, you know, a husband, a father, a grandfather, uh, a wife, a grandmother, aunt. Health first. No, yeah, and I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. I think there are probably a few explanations as to why a family member uh, might insist that the the political face of the family, let's say, or the political leader of that state or of the country carry on. I think one is maybe a, a, a willful blindness to the severity of the of the um, affliction. That's a possibility, right? It's possible that Giselle or that um, Dr. Jill is 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 having difficulty herself dealing with the fact that her spouse, um, you know, with whom she's you know madly in love and has been for many years, right? As you are with your spouse, as any spouse should be with his or her partner, is is unable to see the the clear signs of physical or mental um, degradation and decay. That's a possibility. That's that's a very sympathetic um, reading of what could be happening. So that's one. Uh, another alternative is that they're indifferent to that fact and they simply want uh, to access the power. They want the glory, they want the honor and the esteem, they want all the privileges associated with being uh, the first lady or the spouse of the senator, the sitting senator uh, from Pennsylvania. And they will stop at nothing to um, proceed down that path. Uh, again, a possibility. Um, I see those as being the two, the two contenders as to why this is happening. Uh, I, but I do agree with you. Uh, the onus, by and large, is on the family members. I think in this, in these two peculiar situations, that strangely mirror each other in so many um, unsettling ways. You have to be able to rely on your family members to uh, throw throw in the white flag, so to speak, to throw in the towel when it's evident that you are incapable of, of of doing things. And if you're at all capable of doing these things, and if they are detrimental to your health or to the furtherance of your recovery, then you absolutely have to intervene as as a loyal family member and and stop this. But sometimes, again, uh, the the taste of that power and of the opportunities that can branch out of it are are just too enticing, and people are incapable of of stepping away from that and doing what is um, for the good of not only their spouse but of the country and of your constituency, of the people of whom your husband is supposed to be the representative, right? Uh, so. That's sort of how I read the situation. Uh, I'd like to look at these spouses and these families more sympathetically, uh, but I can't help thinking that there are some mm, un, uh, mm, uh, gee, unwholesome motives behind what they are doing. So how do you see the Fetterman situation progressing? What do you, what do you think will happen? Uh, take us four months, five months from today. Uh, do you think he still will be a senator? representing the good people of Pennsylvania, or do you think that he will be removed? I, I, I'm hoping 
that I don't wish ill will on anyone. Uh, I am hoping that that he's fully capable of of carrying on. Um, I know that there's there's plans in place. I know Shapiro probably has somebody picked out to replace him. I mean, that's a contingency plan. But 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 Fetterman just he just need. I mean, basically, you could get away in the Senate and a and the House of Representatives without bringing forward any legislation. You not may not be representing your 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 state to your full, to its full capacity, but but look look at like you know AOC who is an Instagram Congresswoman. She I don't think she's brought a piece of legislation forward. Uh, she is a national name, um, so she votes for for you know everything you know straight down the democratic democratic line. So I'm not saying that that you don't need to have your own personal thoughts. Um, but I, I think that you, that someone, Fetterman in this case, could get a, could get away with just, you know, going on. Do I want to see him do that if he's not in a good place? No, I don't want to see that. It's for me, humanistically, it's torturous to see this happen to somebody. Has it been done before? I, I, you know, I really, I really don't know to this degree. I mean, you're, you're talking about, I mean, he's since January 1st, I mean, you're looking at six weeks, eight weeks, and he's been hospitalized twice. So, so it's a, it's a tough trail ahead. And, and maybe this is the after effects of him not getting the appropriate treatment when he first suffered this stroke and, and, and trying to carry on, on the, on the, um, on the on the trail yeah i think his staff and those most intimately associated with him have admitted to that uh, they've said as much that uh, yes he probably was somewhat negligent in pursuing treatment that may have alleviated some of these issues that have now plagued him later on uh, many many days and many months uh, removed from the initial stroke event of course, it's impossible to know if he had sought therapy more aggressively early on or or rested a little bit more um, that he'd be a fully functioning uh, member of society cognitively, emotionally, physically, etc. Um, it's impossible to know, but it certainly would have a, a greater likelihood. Uh, and just to just to hammer down on that on that point again, yes, uh, I think above all, uh, we do hope for his full and speedy recovery, although speedy, I think, at this point has to be tossed out the window. We just hope for a recovery. Um, of course, depression is not uh, is not the sort of affliction by which one wants ever wants anyone to be plagued, uh, especially someone who's had a severe neurological event uh, within the past year. But again, it's it's a grave injustice to the people of Pennsylvania, and, and I think that's something uh, that we tend to overlook. Um, putting forth these political leaders to represent us, who are absolutely incapable of discharging their duties, I think is is a grave injustice to the people who are exercising their suffrage uh, as citizens in a republic um, to put their voices forward to make their their uh, preferences known and to send somebody to represent them um, and to protect and defend 
the constitution and to uphold their uh, God-given rights. Uh, so I think that's something that that needs to be that needs to be addressed and needs to be considered uh, more seriously. Any more thoughts on Fetterman before we move on? No, I wish I wish him a speedy recovery. I wish him nothing but the best, and um, you know, uh, hopes and prayers for him and his family. Yeah, and I echo those hopes and prayers that you are issuing. Uh, so finally, let's end with one more topic, and that is the recent train derailment or train derailments. It seems as though there have been uh, a multitude of these of these unfortunate events. Uh, just a few days ago, a Norfolk Southern train uh, was derailed just outside of East Palestine, Ohio, a small town on the border of uh, Ohio and um, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh. Um, the population is quite small, about I think five to seven thousand people. Uh, majority, I think, Republican um, <laughs> little town there, out in the uh, tough, cold, working class area, in uh, getting toward the Midwest. Uh, so this accident, I suppose, was was um, the severity, the gravity of this accident was heightened by the fact that these Norfolk Southern train cars, of which there were, I think, 50 or more, were carrying noxious chemicals, including one vinyl chloride, which, uh, when released into the atmosphere, brought back memories of World War I, where it was previously used as a, as a chemical weapon with which to suffocate Germans and Frenchmen and allied soldiers alike. So uh, this is quietly a, a complete environmental disaster <laughs> um, happening under the watch of an administration putatively committed to reducing such harmful climate events. So at this time, I don't think there are any fatalities, at least human fatalities. This small vulnerable town of East Palestine was evacuated. I think uh, people have since been able to return to their homes, but it's been documented that fish in the streams, right? I think uh, the Ohio River is nearby, have been found dead. Uh, domestic livestock such as pigs and goats and cows and uh, chickens have been found uh, either writhing on the ground or dead. Uh, same can be said of domestic pets, dogs, cats and the like, rabbits. Um, people have been reporting you know, significant respiratory illnesses, uh, vomiting, dry eyes, dizziness, right? Things all attributable to well, the inhalation of noxious chemical fumes. Now, In charge of the country's transportation system is the heralded uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, of whom we've spoken uh, with some frequency here on Finneran's Wake. Uh, and not typically in laudatory terms, he's had a string of failures and mistakes uh, throughout the course of his first and probably uh, well, his first experience in federal government, I was going to say probably only experience in federal government, but that is certainly subject to change, I think. And maybe we can discuss this, any ambition that he uh, nourished for a future appointment in administration, uh, Democrat administration, or perhaps the presidency itself has been dashed by his inability to, to deal with these issues. And let's just number a few of them to remind all of our listeners uh, this is a, a tr 
the uh, Secretary of Transportation who uh, oversaw the FAA fiasco when hundreds if not thousands of flights were grounded and canceled uh, just a few months ago. This is the uh, Secretary of Transportation who oversaw hundreds of ships waiting at ports in enormous queues. Uh, this was a few, maybe a year or two ago, right, during the supply chain um, problems as a consequence of the COVID pandemic uh, to some, in some part, but also to our inability to cope with these with these logistical concerns. Uh, we now have multiple train derailments. As I said, I mentioned the one that happened outside East Palestine, Ohio, but I believe one happened in Detroit and perhaps in Texas as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and also we had uh, train operators threatening strike, I think just a, just a few months ago, just prior, if I'm not mistaken, to the midterm elections for 2022. Uh, so of course, you know, a horrendous event like this isn't completely attributable to uh, Buttigieg's uh, incompetence, but it certainly does line up with a string of failures um, to which ultimately he, as the Secretary of Transportation, is answerable. So let me ask you, Dad, give me your thoughts about the train derailment in Ohio and then perhaps Pete Buttigieg and his response. Well, the train derailment was was very very unfortunate in 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 my past career we used to train for mass casualty events such as this um so it it, it was very very important to let the public know to let them know what was going on to sort of reduce the fears um and i don't want to say happy talk because it's not happy talk but but let the public know what you're doing in order to help them. It's it's ironic that as camera-friendly and as well-spoken as Pete Buttigieg seemed to be um, on, his, on his way to trying to become the president um, during that primary process, he seems to be asleep at the wheel in during situations in which he could really get his face out there in the public. Uh, so I'm not sure if he's afraid of the questions or if he just doesn't have the answers. But I think when, when, the, when the train derailment hit, first hit, he was on a, on a stump speech talking about racism in, in the construction industries and how there are certain minorities that are underrepresented at construction sites. So, of which I should me, say, of which I should say, there's absolutely no evidence. Uh, I know specifically down here in Florida, the population of men, almost exclusively working in construction, is not uh, disproportionately white. <laughs> I can assure you of that. Um, there are many Hispanic individuals and Black individuals uh, working these jobs. So, I think. Uh, his statement to the contrary is just evidence of a complete ignorance of <laughs> the sector uh, over which he's ostensibly presiding. Yeah, he's just completely absent in 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 areas where where he should be present and and the face of Joe Biden's cabinet. It's it's a it's a very weird thing. I thought to myself the other day. How how these same 
people would be treated by Donald Trump. I don't think Pete Buttigieg would have a job uh, if he worked with for Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump would have fired him. It's it's the same thing throughout this cabinet. You look at Kamala Harris. She's the border czar. She never visited the border in Texas. So it's just like Joe Biden assigns these individuals, these tasks, these cabinet positions, and it's almost like a joke. You know, they they don't know what they they're they're just bringing this woke. The the most important thing for them to do, it seems to be, to bring this woke woke culture into their their particular area of responsibility. It's it's racism and it's wokeness, um, and and forget about the hard hitting headlines of you know a train crash. I mean, a hundred years ago, people would write a country song about the devastation of this train crash, and 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 we don't know what five or ten years from now hold for these people. It could become a you know God forbid it could become a cancer cluster, uh, you know. I thought I thought I heard that someone had asked one of the representatives down there. Well, you you drink some of this water if you think it's not toxic. You know, take a drink uh, from the stream. So it's you know it's Pete Buttigieg is missing a fantastic opportunity to put his face out and take control and look presidential. Uh, and, and that's what the people are looking for. It's a great opportunity. There's a lot. There's thousands of people who would love that opportunity to take control, just like a, a NFL quarterback would love to have the ball and 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 have that last two minute drive to win the game. This is what it's all about. Do your job and do it well. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that the, he, he's not doing a job, any job at all, so by by all uh, available evidence, and that these disastrous events are happening that he's then made to respond to. Now, you see it as an opportunity to get out there and and take control, right, and, and establish yourself as, as a leader. Uh, but the disaster is already happening, and he's just there to clean things up. The, the question is, why do these disasters keep occurring under his uh, watch, right? Uh, it, difficult to know why. Now, you listed a number of, of members of... Um, President Biden's cabinet, and and there's a there's a theme, right? To be to be to be highlighted. Uh, you mentioned Kamala Harris, right? What are her credentials for having uh, been elevated to this esteemed role as vice president? Well, I'll ask these questions rhetorically. Pete Buttigieg. Well, you know what? I won't ask them rhetorically. I'll give you answers. So Kamala Harris. Well, she was a senator from California. Um, President Biden explicitly stated that he was seeking in a vice presidential running mate, a black female. Well, there you go. Now that limited his choices dramatically. No longer was uh, Ms. Klobuchar a, a candidate. No longer was uh, perhaps a more moderate male Democrat um, like uh, Senator Kane, uh, a possible running mate. It was limited to Susan Rice, to Karen Bass, and to Kamala Harris, in truth, uh, among whom he had the um, unfortunate task of choosing, being that most of these three are, are unknown to the public, Kamala Harris perhaps being the most known, uh, but but not particularly well vetted and, and not um, celebrated 
by most Americans. So she got the nod. She became the vice presidential candidate and then the vice president. Pete Buttigieg was the mayor of a small town, South Bend, Indiana, uh, has no background, has no experience in transportation so far as I can tell. Now I'm sure he entered into this role and was apprised of what he needed to know and, and perhaps sought the um, superior wisdom of those uh, with whom he'd be working, right, in his staff, uh, but still lacked whatever it was to be able to um, to be able to effectively carry out the role um, to which he was appointed. You look at Secretary May uh, Secretary Mayorkas, right, who's in charge of our immigration policy, really in charge of it in Homeland Security. Uh, granted, this is a a role to, um, with which Kamala Harris has been tasked, but fundamentally, it's it's his job to uh, ensure the the peace and tranquility at our southern border. Uh, his failures are legion. It's impossible to list them all in um, an hour-long show. In, indeed, his failures are so many that he is among all the uh, appointments, all the appointees and all the secretaries in Biden's administration, the most likely to be impeached. He certainly could be in this uh, new Congress that we have before us. Uh, you look at Secretary Cardonas uh, at education, right? And you could tell uh, these people, they might have a little bit of experience, but it's infinitesimal, really. And the failures of their, um, well, their failures are, are absolutely um, demonstrable. Cardonis, as Secretary of Education, has overseen the, the rollout of the student loan forgiveness program, which is almost uh, completely struck down, is almost completely dead, only a few months after having been announced um, as a midterm election ploy, a clever one and a successful one by all, by all uh, measures. Um, so again, there's just appointment after appointment, even Lloyd Austin, who came, I think, directly from Raytheon after... Uh, mixed career in the military. I think he was the one who originally called ISIS the JV, right? The junior varsity of terrorist cells about whom we shouldn't be too concerned. And that was during the Obama administration. Now, he is uh, defense secretary. So to uh, it, a dispassionate, uh, disinterested viewer, observer of what is happening in this administration, it seems like most of these people were hired less for established uh, competency and credibility and prowess in their, um, in their respective fields, but to check certain intersectional boxes. I think it's really reducible to that. These are people with um, small amounts of talent, but uh, compensatory uh, levels and amounts of, of I don't know, woke bona fides. Uh, you know, I don't need to list the ex explicit characteristics of each individual. I think you could look at them yourself and figure them out. Um, but I think that is the real answer to the to the question that you brought forth, and that is, you know, how have these people been elevated to these positions of importance? And how then have they failed so dramatically? And that's the reason. And I think whenever you uh, begin to deviate and fly away from merit and competence and 
proven ability in a specific field and you move toward ideological um, considerations, you begin to see these sorts of things. You begin to see six million illegal aliens coming across the border in the span of two years. You begin to see uh, miles of ships laden with goods destined for port that are now waiting in long queues out in the ocean. You see the FAA grounding hundreds, if not thousands of flights. You see trains derailing. You see test scores in some of our best funded cities and municipalities uh, as far as their education programs are concerned, their public schools. You see the test scores uh, falling abysmally, right? Bottomlessly, it seems like these, these scores can go, get no lower. Um, you see the withdrawal from Afghanistan. You see the inability to shoot down a Chinese spy balloon as it traverses the entire North American continent. Failure after failure in each department. One has to ask why. And I think partially the reason is the elevation of characters who really have no proven competence in these areas. And what do you do? What do you do in response to that? Well, in our situation, I suppose you, what, you wait, you wait until the, you know, the, the next election and you can exercise your, uh, your right to vote and remove the, the administration that's presently causing so much uh, disruption. Your thoughts, your response, what do you have in mind, Dad? No, I think you're you're right on. You, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you you've said it perfectly. We, it's 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 all about who is pushing a a agenda, who's pushing the this. I'll say woke for for lack of a this progressive agenda. It's not about hiring the best person for these particular jobs. It's whoever's pushing this progressive agenda. That's why Pete Buttigieg isn't boring you with bearings on trains or or air brakes and trucks and what's the leading cause of accidents and all the all the day-to-day -day details that he should be working on what you know new port routes you know that that doesn't sell but when you say that there's racism at construction sites and minorities are underrepresented here and here i don't really care to hear his opinion on these things I care to his, hear his opinion on transportation. Uh, it's it, you know it's the same thing with with other cabinet members. It's the same thing with you know with Janet Yellen. Uh, you know I don't really care what her thoughts are, her progressive thoughts are on on racism. Uh, you know on abortion. Uh, I care to hear what she has to say to help the economy. I'm just tired, and hopefully I'm not the only one in the United States who sees what's going on here, or hopefully we're not the only two uh, in the United States who sees what's going on here, and hopefully there will be some kind of change during the next election cycle, or people just don't care, and 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 they're just going to keep voting for for this agenda, but it, it's it's very, very frustrating to see to see this going on. Yeah, no, I, and I, I agree completely. And I think that frustration is shared uh, by many, many people. So we covered three topics today, three topics about which everybody was talking this past week. That was Nikki Haley's announcement to run for president. I think we covered that fully. 
Uh, and I'm sure that's a topic to which we'll be returning in the coming weeks as this election cycle really is officially underway. We now have, I suppose, three people running for uh, the Republican nomination. Don't forget John Bolton, another member of President Trump's cabinet, announced sort of uh, uh, untraditionally his intention to run. I think he was on a British um, television program when he did so. Uh, which really kind of makes things interesting. We're going to have multiple, if not a multitude, of uh, former Trump cabinet members running for president. We could see Haley, uh, we could see Bolton, Pompeo, perhaps even Mike Pence, uh, all running for president. So be very, very interesting to see that dynamic of individuals as they as they vie to unseat the standard bearer of the Republican Party. Donald Trump. Uh, so we covered that. And again, we'll return to that, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. We covered uh, the uh, tra uh, train derailment, uh, which unfortunately transpired just a few days ago uh, in East Palestine, Ohio. And uh, then finally, we covered, let me just review, what was the final, what was the third thing that we covered? Oh, of course, John Fetterman uh, and the fact that he's been twice admitted to the hospital uh, within the past few weeks. Uh, so, as you can see, there's never a dull moment here in America, nor is there here on uh, Finneran's Wake and our thought bubble that is always brimming and, and swirling with, with new ideas. Um, so, with that, we'll urge you jointly, Dad and myself, we'll ask you very kindly to uh, subscribe to this channel if you would be so kind, share it with some friends, some people that are uh, maybe independently minded and could be open to considering different opinions. Um, I shouldn't say different opinions because our opinions do tend to align pretty, pretty closely. Um, but at least I hope you'll find them to be moderate, dispassionate, um, sober opinions to which you can listen um, and from which you can get something out, right? So that's the whole intention uh, of this little channel here. So like it, subscribe to it, share it with some friends. And until next time, uh, we bid you farewell from Finneran's Wake.